Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. PodCTL is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCTL podcast. Welcome to season two of the PodCTL podcast, Kubernetes in the Ecosystem. This is episode one of season two. So for anybody who's new to the show, welcome. My name is Brian Gracely. I'll be your host. And for everybody who is coming back to the show after maybe being a listener for a year or a couple of years, welcome back. We're excited to bring you this new format. We hope it's going to be educational, easy to consume, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. So the first show that we're going to kick off with, and we will put all of the shows for the season uh, in the show notes so you can sort of see what's coming next. The first show is going to be real basic. What is Kubernetes? Now, this is sort of a a basic topic. It could be a simple way to look at some things. It could be a complicated way of of looking at things. But let's take a look at what is Kubernetes. In its origin, it got started uh, in late 2014, 2015, depending on uh, what timeline you're using. And it was originally created uh, out of Google uh, based on sort of a replication, an open source replication of a system they had internally called Borg. And in essence, what it was is a very advanced scheduling system to allow them to take applications that were put in containers, be able to deploy them, and have the system deterministically figure out uh, what was the best place to place the application in terms of uh, nodes and storage and so forth how to make sure that the requested resources were always going to be available. And then somewhere if the system failed, that the system would have health checks built in to be able to make sure that um, the system would return back to that known good state. So let's give you an example of what that means. So I have an application. I would like it to have uh, three front ends um, for serving up web applications or being load balanced. Um, I'd like a few middle um, tier type of things for a different application. Maybe I need some backend types of services. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put those applications into containers. I'm going to build a YAML file, basically a thing that says, hey, this is what the application should look like or the deployment should look like. And Kubernetes, I want you to go off and find the best place to deploy those applications in containers. I want you to make sure that they're always at the right level that they should be at, so three in this case. And then I want you to constantly sort of be checking to make sure that if something fails, uh, that you return it back to a known good state. And that was sort of the origin of Kubernetes, was taking a system that was really well-known, well-defined within Google, uh, making it open source, bringing it into a community that could be worked on by lots of different individuals and different companies. And so that meant needed some governance. And then, uh, you know, what happened from there really just exploded. And so if you're new to the Kubernetes community and you're hearing everybody talk about it, yeah, back in 2014, 2015, 2016, there was only a few companies working on it, maybe five or 10. And that's exploded out to be hundreds of companies and tens of thousands of people, not only using the technology, but gathering on a regular basis uh, to get together and work on it, to meet about it, to learn about it. Um, Let's talk about some basics within Kubernetes. So there are a couple of core components to Kubernetes, and I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth since this is new between what's in Kubernetes and maybe some systems that other people are familiar with. So the core concepts of Kubernetes are a couple of different things. The first is it is a API-driven system. By default, it uses the Kubernetes API to sort of uh, be the interface to the system, as well as um, identifying what's available in the system and uh, allowing third-party types of things to interact with it. So it's an API-driven system at its core. It has a scheduling system, um, has a set of uh, masters which keep track of the, uh, the resources, uh, has a backend database called etcd, which keeps track of state and, and um, information about the system. It stores things like secrets and so forth. 
And then within uh, the masters, it keeps track of a couple of things. It keeps track of overall scheduling, how many resources are available to it um, to schedule applications or actually schedule containers. Um, and then it keeps track of some cluster information. You know, what's the state of the cluster? What's the health of the cluster? So a couple of core things you have there. You have your API. You have your masters, sort of the things that are your control plane, if you will. You have etcd, which is your database that keeps track of the information for those masters. And then the actual application nodes are called workers. And this is where your applications are actually going to run. So think about what happens is an application is in a container. Um, somebody tells the masters what to do. So they give them um, a manifest file that says, this is what I would like to do. And the application, uh, the scheduling system within Kubernetes looks at it and it says, okay, I understand what you're trying to do. We'll get into just more details about what those things might be. It says, I understand what you're trying to do. I'm going to look at my available worker nodes, the characteristics of those worker nodes in terms of uh, what types of hardware they have, CPU, memory, uh, maybe other characteristics that could be taken into consideration. And I'm going to go ahead and place those applications. Now, what Kubernetes does is since everything is containerized, it uses a concept called pods. And for the most part, pods are going to be uh, one pod per container. Although in theory, a pod can contain multiple containers and we'll maybe explain in a later episode why that might happen. But what it does is it schedules these pods, uh, finds the best nodes to put them on. And then what happens out on the worker nodes is you have a little piece of software called a kubelet. The kubelet is essentially uh, an agent that runs on all the worker nodes. And the kubelet is going to report back to the masters, to the scheduling system within the masters. And it's going to say, hey, this is what's going on with these applications. Um, are they meeting the requirements that you have of this deployment? And if they're not, how do we go about getting them back to that known good state, that deterministic state? And in the most simple sense, that's essentially what uh, Kubernetes does. It has a control plane. It has a data plane for workers. Um, it has some deployment mechanisms in which uh, the scheduling system looks down at the workers. It says, what are you capable of doing? Um, it deploys those applications in pods, those pods being containers. Um, it has some health checks and some things that keep track of those, uh, the state of what's going on with them. And when they're running fine, everything's good. When there's some sort of failure in the system somewhere, it goes back. It tries to figure out how do I make sure that the system gets back to a good known state, um, takes care of that, and goes back to running again. It can accept, accept new requests for deployments. So those are your big kind of core elements of Kubernetes. Now, obviously, over time, Kubernetes has evolved. We have seen um, lots and lots of things be added to it. So a couple of basic things that you might also think of. It's going to need a way to... Um, interface with networking. So it needs to figure out how do I assign an IP address to those pods or those containers? How do I get DNS names to them? How do I load balance as needed? How do I get traffic inbound and outbound from those pods? How do we make sure that when we want to actually have data attached to the applications, how do we connect to storage? And so other things that you would expect to have in any known type of system have all been over the time added to Kubernetes. Right? In some cases, those are external projects. So things like, um, you know, how we would interface with storage or networking sometimes are external interfaces or pluggable interfaces. And in some cases, these become part of Kubernetes. So let's walk through a few basic things. Um, we have our application, we containerized it, we have a deployment mechanism that we want to use. So we want to deploy it. And let's say we want to deploy it as a replicated system so that if something fails, it, the replicas come back up and they run again. Um, 
Kubernetes, the masters look at that. They say, here's how we're going to put those into pods. Here's how we're going to deploy those pods. And then a couple of things come into play. So the first thing is that um, each one of those containers can get an IP address individually. If they are part of some sort of replication group, essentially they are all going to look the same. Uh, they're going to be load balanced. They're going to be assigned a load balancer. So a load balancer will be assigned uh, to those that pod, uh, those clusters of pods, so that they can remain up and running. The load balancer will get an IP address, just like we've always seen in networking. It gets essentially a virtual IP address. It will make sure that there are IP addresses assigned to those underlying um, containers pods so that um, they can have individual IP addresses for routing and so forth. And then what we have is sort of a concept called ingress and egress routing uh, to be able to get traffic either between pods or out to the rest of the world. So there's a concept called ingress and egress routing um, that helps take care of that. So from a networking perspective, pods or the containers themselves are going to get IP addresses. If they are part of some sort of replicated group, they are going to be allocated with a load balancer. The load balancer will make sure that traffic flows accordingly to the right load balancing algorithm for that application. As traffic needs to come inbound or go outbound, it will leverage either an ingress or an egress routing technique uh, that's understood by Kubernetes and interacts with the networking aspects, the DNS aspects, and the load balancing aspects. Now, the next aspect you might have is you might say, well, what about data? How do I interact with data for these applications? And so what, uh, what Kubernetes does is Kubernetes says, if you need a data volume that you want to attach to, we can give you a what we call provisioned volume or PV. You'll hear that term quite a bit. There are multiple ways to get access to these provision volumes. They could be statically defined. They could be dynamically provisioned. So there are techniques within Kubernetes that allow both those to happen. And the storage, um, just like we've seen with previous uh, incarnations of you know, cloud or virtualization or other systems, where the storage resides uh, can be dependent on the application and dependent on how much bandwidth you need to that storage, how much resiliency you need. And so Kubernetes has multiple ways to have pluggable storage be part of the system. It can use localized storage within uh, the worker nodes, and it can use external storage, whether that's accessed via NFS, iSCSI, fiber channel, uh, an object storage protocol like, like S3 uses, or it could use uh, various types of vendor-driven uh, storage mechanisms. So if you are familiar with virtualization, a lot of this will sort of sound similar to you. You'll say, well, there's a control plane. I understand that. Uh, there is sort of a data plane, the workers where they have that. There are some mechanisms to do the various aspects of networking that we need from IP address assignment to DNS to load balancing to ingress and egress routing. Okay, that all makes sense. And then there's going to be mechanisms in which we, uh, we're we going to assign where storage is and how to get to storage and what the different protocols that can be used to access the storage. So at this point, you're thinking, okay, a lot of this makes sense to me. Um, what you know, What's the hype? Why is all this uh, such a big deal? And I think there's a couple characteristics that make it different than some of the things we're used to, especially if you come from, say, a virtualization background. The first one is that uh, in sort of traditional virtualization, again, you were dealing with much larger VM-based systems, often monolithic applications. In Kubernetes, more and more so, we're dealing with microservices, distributed applications. So there needs to be a little more intelligence built into the system to be able to deal with these distributed things, different failure characteristics. The second thing is that there are sort of built-in deployment patterns built into Kubernetes. There are a number of different deployment patterns. Um, we'll put some in the show notes. You can go dig into them. But essentially, those deployment patterns are sort of application aware. They know a little bit more about what the application needs in order to uh, be deployed, in order to survive failure scenarios, 
and it takes into consideration um, some things that the scheduling system needs to know about. Are these long-running applications? Are these short-running applications? Are these batch jobs? Do they need to be replicated if something fails? That's a little more intelligent than we had in our basic virtualization systems. And then finally, you know, um, Kubernetes has really been designed to be an application or a platform that can be used in any environment. So whether that's an on-prem environment or in the public cloud, uh, on top of virtualization, on top of bare metal, on top of you know various types of cloud uh, platforms, is designed to be agnostic to all of those things. So a little bit different than some of the virtualization systems you're used to, or if you're maybe just used to one public cloud system, um, there are some interesting aspects to it that make it very, very uh, adaptive to cloud native environments, to distributed applications, to better understanding the application and working that into the scheduling system. And then there's also some aspects that should be very, very familiar to you in terms of it's got a control plane, it's got a data plane, it understands how to do networking, it understands how to get to storage. There's an API that I can use to control this. And um, you know that's kind of the core of Kubernetes. Now, we'll talk in later episodes about all the other projects that have sort of circled Kubernetes, whether it's service mesh or you know monitoring or logging or all these other things. Um, but that hopefully gives you an understanding of the core elements of Kubernetes, what's in there, um, what elements are, are included with Kubernetes. And we'll talk later in other episodes in this series about how do I get Kubernetes? How is it developed? How do you deploy it? How is it upgraded? All those other things. So with that, I'm going to wrap up episode one of season two. Uh, what is Kubernetes? Hopefully you enjoyed this. If you've got feedback, please send it along to us. The details are in the show notes. And in episode two, we're going to talk about what challenges can Kubernetes solve. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podctl.com or at podctl on Twitter.